welcome to One Day Contract, the Panthers talk show where each week we're joined by a new personality who we've signed to a one day contract to join the show. One Day Contract is a proud part of the Riot Network. Follow us at Twitter, at the Riot Network, stay up to date on all your favorite pods, subscribe, rate, love us on iTunes. My name is Nikki Wolf. Josh Klein is already laughing at me. You said follow us at Twitter. I'm sorry. Like I can't. And I and I was trying to be a good um, a good person and not jump in before I'm introduced. But if you're gonna misspeak, I'm gonna laugh. And uh, Lord knows I do enough misspeaking on this show for the four of us. So uh, so when you when you make a rare mistake, I, it, it makes me giggle. I like it. I I, I deserve that. It, this is what happens when I'm trying to do this from an iPhone while watching my computer update as we record this. Just give us a give us like updates as we go like just jump in like right in the middle maybe like Collins like mid yell about uh about some sort of whether it's you know Bismack Biombo getting too many minutes or whether it's uh the lack of red zone targets for the tight end position when he's like mid yell just be like we're at nine minutes we got nine minutes left nine minutes <laughs> for those of you not familiar with that voice, that is the managing editor for the Riot Report, co-host of It Is What It Is, and I think he may have had a little bit of too much eggnog last week. How are we feeling, Josh? Well, we talked about eggnog last week with Jonathan Jones, and he got mad at me for saying that it made my stomach hurt and uh, drove me to the um, to the bathroom. And uh, sure enough, I had two glasses of eggnog two nights in a row, and boy, howdy, it was... It was a scene over here, but uh, I'm I'm glad we're past the eggnog stage. And what I don't understand, they should sell them in like smaller cartons because I really like, I now have three quarters, two thirds of a carton of eggnog in my fridge that will just stay there until uh, until it goes bad and my wife forces me to throw it away. Just just don't save it for next year. I, I will give a pro tip for next year. If you want to go back and listen to this at December 20th or so, Gosling's uh, Black Seal Rum. With a little eggnog, Mwah. I mean, it was like, it was great. It was really good. Put a little nutmeg on top. I mean, that's where it's at. Woo, that's fancy. Our other besties with us as well, Colin Hogger, columnist and contributor for the Riot Report, and is more than ready to politely let 2020 slip away into the night. The best things we got going. Well, we, we've knocked off a couple coaches, and now we got a quarterback, uh, you know, a pelt on our wall. But other than that, you know, not a lot, of, not a lot going on around here. <laughs> it's like on like on Lost when he has the sti- Mr. Echo has the stick and he carves the names in. It's like Matt Rule is just carving Haskins into his desk uh, on the side. Is it just me or did Ron Rivera's team play like they were coming off a bye? <laughs> <laughs> Let's bring in our guests on the one day content. Uh- I'm all oh boy, here. Nikki, come on. I can't do it. Amateur hour over here. Thank you. Really become a morning zoo. Let's let's try this again. This is what happens when I have coffee for lunch instead of an actual meal. On the one day contract this week, Darren Gant, writer for Panthers.com, amateur runner, and is anxious to hear all of your draft takes. So please make sure to tweet them at him at Darren Gant. I know you love when people do that to you, Darren. No question. And I forward all the do you think we should to at Panther Bill. So mm-hmm. he, he enjoys those even more than 
to. And because I'd rather give than receive, I think it's the right thing to do. So also two other things out of the top before we get into the meat of the program. Nikki, your problem can be solved by when your computer asks you updates are ready to install. If you drop down to later, remind me <laughs> tomorrow. Uh, I've got about an 8,392 day streak of remind me tomorrow. So um, I've got that going for me. Also, uh, Josh eggnog goes nicely with bourbon too. And if you mm -hmm. buy the pre-mixed Evan Williams eggnog at the liquor store, that will keep for a year in your refrigerator. Oh. I don't think there's any actual egg in that stuff. And there's a little booze. So that stuff's shelf stable and it will last from one December to the next confirmed. Already, already teaching so much on this podcast. So really like what a treat. I do people. Now I will say I usually do that method of just hitting later. And I think that's why we're in this position now where it's taking so long. Cause I think I maxed out on that. I hope not. I still <laughs> like to use, I have like an, like whenever I was not in the habit of update of getting a new iPhone every year or two, I would just constantly, constantly, constantly delay updating because as soon as you install that iPhone update, it's just a brick. So you could have like an iPhone 4 that would last for years. As long as you don't update it, it's totally fine. So true. So before we get to Panthers talk, we're going to start with Nikki's super important question. I want to hear everyone's thoughts first week of the Hornets. Oh, we are going to do Hornets Corner. I oh, mean, no. I didn't, we didn't have it as part <laughs> of the show, so we had to throw it in here. I want Colin to go first. Yes. Yeah. Darren's been telling me for more than a decade at this point not to be optimistic. <laughs> and yet, yet it's, like, it's like once a year I just like to get beaten, you know, just about the head and shoulders. Um, yeah, no, nope, we're still in the honeymoon phase. Everything is great. I agree. Everything is great. Um, I was fine with, with the losses. I was fine with LaMelo having zero on his first night. I, I'm, I'm fine with all of it. You know what? Let's, let's just do it. If you're going to give me every three games, if you're going to posterize Kevin Durant and give me an upset win, I'm in. I'm in a thousand – miss the playoffs, win 18 games. If you're going to give me a thunderous dunk once every three games, maybe, like, maybe the next one is like a ridiculous LaMelo alley-oop, I'm in for that. That's all I want. It's just highlights. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm actually looking forward to experiencing some Hornets basketball this year because I'm a YouTube TV consumer. So I haven't actually seen <laughs> oh. them other than highlights on the internet. Uh, but those are really interesting looking. And, you know, I mean, hey, they're a developmental team. I don't think anybody had any illusions that they were going to be a super contending playoff team. But they they feel like they're taking steps in the appropriate direction. So as long as you're doing that and you're honest about the plan and you entertain me from time to time, that that is an acceptable bargain for me with my local professional basketball product. Some Being might say that's acceptable for the good. Oh, some might say that's acceptable for the football team this year as well. But, you know, I'm not I'm not that kind of person. No, no, you, you must have a quarterback taken in the top five of the draft to be an interesting uh, football team. 16-0, anything else? Facts. Anything less than 16-0 is a loser's mentality. Basically. Because yeah. football's super serious, man. Got to be, man. It's the most important time. It's the most wonderful time of the year is between one and four on Sunday, or four and seven. Or four and seven, as the case may be. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the thing. I, and I think by me parachuting into this job in the last six weeks, I mean, I haven't caught them at their most interesting, but they are capable of doing enough things to make you think better things are ahead rather than this is as good as it's going to get. Yeah, I, I, th- I think we should just jump right into it, right? I mean, it flows like, nicely. Let's go. Let's do it. Right into it. Let's talk about this, this culture of winning or draft position. Everyone's talking about tanking. Everyone's mad either way if we were going to win on Sunday or not. Which do you value more? Winning or draft position? Winning? Yes. Oh, in the short term. <laughs> <laughs> the, the problem is that you, does, it, does it carry over? Is there such a thing as momentum? Like, do, do I think that if in week 17, like, am I worried that if the young guy gets his, his mom gets to see him play on an NFL field and hopes he has a story for the rest of his life? Nah, I don't really – not really that that worried about this. I mean, I'm a I'm a believer in winning, um, you know, first and foremost. But at the same time, you want to try some things out. There's no there's no harm um, in doing that in week 17. Go ahead, Darren. Yeah, I was going to say I'm kind of a weirdo. I think it's better to win than lose if you can. Uh, I understand people's frustrations if they were thinking about a top five draft pick or stuff like that. But I keep going back and and I joke about my job title being provider of context. This Panthers season reminds me so much of 2002. John Fox's first year, you're coming off one and 15. It's a disaster. Everybody's mad. Nobody knows what's what. You've got all new stuff coming in. And they weren't all that great, but they went on a run at the end of the year. And it's not like it's momentum that carries you into the following year, but you find individual parts. And it's like, okay, this is going to be part of the solution moving forward. And this guy is going to be – uh, is going to play a big role when games actually matter. And, and, and Rule joked about it the other week. He talked about wanting to use this December to teach guys to remember to buy the wife a Christmas present and the third down defense game plan. And so he wants the guys who are going to be a part of future iterations of this team to learn those lessons now so they're not learning them on the fly when games begin to matter. And I think for the most part, especially when you look at that defense, those are all kids who are still ascending. I mean, for the most part, the guys who are out there on the field right now can reasonably be out there on the field in some capacity three years from now. So it's not a bunch of old dudes who you know you're going to be churning and moving on from, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So I I think there's something to it. I, I think there's something to be said for playing well whenever, whether you're winning, whether you're losing. I mean, the Chiefs game, they lost, but they played pretty well. I mean, that was about as good as they've looked all year. And this game the other night, they did not look great. They were fortunate to be playing a, a, a pretty shabby team with a quarterback who was five minutes from being unemployed. So um, they were fortunate to win that one. They didn't play great, but I, I don't think you ever take a step back by losing necessarily. Because again, in going back to the O2 example, you know, they won what four out of their last five in oh two finished seven and nine and fell to eighth in the draft and took a guy named Jordan Gross instead of being a top five team where a top five pick was used on Justin Blackman you know they settled in there at eight and uh you know took a guy who started left tackle for him for the next decade so that was an okay deal for them yeah, I think the, I think the, if you look at it from what you're talking about like from the long term I, you're I think you're always better off 
you know, trying to win, trying to do the right things because you're always evolving. Like people, I, part of this discussion seems like they think it's like a thermostat outside the church that's raising money for the new playground. And at some point it's going to hit that top mark and there's going to be a playground. Like, no, it's, it's going to, the, the, the temperature of your club goes up and down and come back and forth. And it's not one transaction. It's not one draft pick. Yes, you can say, oh, one tra draft pick changed it all. But you still have to put pieces around it. It's this constant thing. And when you get too hung up in assessing value to this one thing in the draft, that because you feel like you can assess that, then you, you, you lose sight of the totality, which is, identifying good players and keeping good players and continuing to improve your team. Yeah. I think that that's a, it's a good way to look at it. The thermostat uh, or the thermometer. thermometer um, yeah. Sorry, yeah. The thermometer <laughs> analogy that, that a lot of people do think that it's like, once you amat get to a certain point, it's like, here's the Super Bowl, And it's like winning a Super Bowl is hard. And my, the, the couple of problems that I have with, with the folks that are, I, I understand the idea that folks are upset that the Panthers won, which cost them some draft stock. I, I understand that. But at the same time, where I'm coming from is that the NFL draft is like the hardest thing to get right. And there are so many teams that whiff on first round picks. Every single year it happens, top five, top three, top one. Guys get it, teams get it wrong. And unless you are literally, uh, unless you are literally winning or losing for the number one pick, for a generational player, like if the if you're a Jets fan and you're mad that the Jets won and they missed out on Trevor Lawrence, that I can get behind. But the idea that that there is such a huge difference between the fourth pick and the ninth pick in a draft where the guy who you may have wanted at four, who who a lot of Panther fans wanted at four, may still be there at nine. It happens all the time, and there's not necessarily a guarantee that that fourth pick is going to be good. It's not the NBA where tanking was invented. Because in the NBA, there are five guys on the floor, and if you have the one star, you can win. That's enough. That's enough to propel you to not only the finals but to the championship. If you're in the NFL, that one guy is never enough. You need – maybe you don't need 11, but you need eight. And you need more than – and you need the right coach. You need the right coordinators. You need the right owner. You need the right GM. It's not just a matter of getting that one guy. So to me, the, the draft is such a crapshoot that – to decide that you're upset between the fourth pick and the ninth pick. And by the way, season's not over. They could still get the fifth pick. So all, all this anger may be just a moo point to Cal's opinion. Anytime you're, anytime you're doing exactly what the Jets fans were doing a week ago, you're in good company. And that's the way I look at it. Jets fans are freaking out the week before Panther fans. If you're emulating the Jets fans, like you're in the right place. No. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, even uh, the, yeah. right, the NBA, on the NBA thing though, even the NBA, like you say, it works in the NBA, but it boils that boiled down to two guys. That's Kevin Durant and and LeBron James. Every other number one overall pick, maybe, maybe not. So even there, it doesn't really, it it doesn't really work out. And again, I just think that the transactions that you think are going to matter the most, sometimes they do, but more often than not, it's some it's some. Oh, we picked up this twenty nine year old, and all of a sudden he's the missing piece for a good team. Yeah, and I think part of the problem is, too, people tend to commodify drafted quarterback. Got to have a drafted quarterback. And listen, if you have a drafted quarterback who is good because he's cheap, because those contracts are so friendly, if that guy can play while on that 
cheap, friendly contract. That is a fantastic thing. That presents incredible value from a team-building standpoint. If you draft a quarterback who cannot play, he provides no value no matter how cheap he is. So, I, I mean, I get that people get hung up on quarterback, 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 got to have a quarterback. But what if the quarterback you draft isn't any good? What if Trey Lance doesn't turn out to be anything in the NFL? What if, you know, Justin Fields gets three years down the road and turns into Carson Wentz after you've paid him $100 million? I mean, what, what then? I mean, you can really jack yourself up in that. And it's not as if quarterback is the only thing the Carolina Panthers need to be a consistent playoff contender. They need a middle linebacker. They need a defensive tackle to stand next to Derrick Brown. They need cornerbacks, plural. Uh, they need a left tackle. They need a lot of stuff uh, in addition to, you know, some degree of franchise-saving quarterback. So, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat. Teams have invested. You know, the Tennessee Titans have invested a lot of draft capital in quarterbacks over the years. And sometimes that gets you Jake Locker. And then they went and signed a free agent off the street and Ryan Tannehill, and he's the one that took them to the AFC championship game. So I understand the fascination, but you don't always have to make it work that way. I mean, it's not foolproof by any stretch of the imagination. I'm telling you guys for the show, in the last 20 drafts, 59 quarterbacks have been taken in the first round. Exactly five of them led those teams to a Super Bowl win. So it's, it's far from foolproof, and even if you were in a position to draft third or fourth or fifth and take a quarterback, there's no guarantee he's the guy. The, the one guarantee is that if you miss on a first-round quarterback, it's going to set your team back four to five years because it's really, really hard to get off of that first-round quarterback. The Cardinals are like, in my mind, are one of the only examples of the last decade – 15, 20 years that were able to quickly decide. And that was only because of a coaching change, right? Like if they hadn't moved to Cliff Kingsbury, they would probably still be thinking about, you know, well, Josh Rosen's going to come into camp as the starter, but we got a guy that we picked in the fourth round that we think is really going to provide some, some competition from him. Plus we brought in um, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. So we're going to have a real competition, see who gets the job done. But instead they, they decided to move on and it ultimately turned out to be the right decision. But it's if you if the Panthers say they do have the ninth pick and they decide that they want to take Trey Lance and Trey Lance doesn't work out, it's going to be a lot harder to 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 uh, regroup from that. Well, let's just let's sense. just roll let's roll back one year because tanking for Tua was a thing for a long time, and obviously the young man had the hip injury. But let's just say the Dolphins don't take him. Now, if you've been paying attention to the Dolphins, they're talking about Fitzmagic coming back in in place of. Tua down the stretch here. And this doesn't mean Tua's bad. This isn't me passing judgment on Tua. But this is drafting a surefire. He's going to be a dude. And here we are at the year end of year one. And a, and a veteran journeyman quarterback looks like he may be an, an option. Where, where are the Panther fans right now if we had drafted, instead of Derek Brown, Tua, and, oh, my goodness, Teddy Bridgewater's looking better than him? Or P.J. Walker. I have some thoughts about the, the Miami – yeah, well, I mean, there's no, a big no, st- no. It's something we can we, – we deal in the real world. You did, you did say, what, you know, what if you draft a quarterback that stinks? And I was like, oh, well, I, I, can, I can identify with that. Um, uh, I think that – wait, wait, uh, one thing on the Dolphins. On the Dolphins. Actually, it's a couple things. Um, the Dolphins 
lat are are kind of the example that a lot of people use because they won was it five games at the end of the year last year they the the thing that in reality they had a ton a ton a ton of cap room because they had traded away all these assets. They had three first round picks. They, they had completely cleared their books for this season. So one of the reasons why they're so good is not necessarily because of Tua or even Fitzpatrick. It's because of Byron Jones and Xavier Howard and all these other guys that they brought in. And um, the Panthers did not take that route when they brought in a new coach, they did not clear out all their books and trade away all their assets. Um, that the GM Marty Herney decided not to do that. And I wonder if that will be something when you look back um, on this particular two or three year stretch, if that will be looked back on as a mistake um, was kind of using this year differently than they did. Well, I, I, as you look forward, if you were to, if you're to say to try and do that, then that would mean that I would not be taking a quarterback in this, in this draft because you would be in the accumulation process still, right? Like you wouldn't, like you'd still be tearing it down in theory. Because one of the things you just talked about, the Dolphins did trade some guys off, accumulated some extra assets. That has not happened here. So is this the time to, to dive in? It's hard to draft in any given year. In 2020, with college football being what it is, Ooh, is this Lordy. where you want to go all in on something? Or is this the year to try and be smart and, and, and roll, that, roll that forward? Because I worry, because what you know, I, I worry that they've got the fever over there. That, that, that there's some there's some important people that have the QB fever over there. And if all of a sudden you didn't do the accumulation years or time like the Dolphins did, and now you're throwing assets out, your cupboard is all of a sudden bare. And on an eval in a draft, it's already hard to do. Plus, you had the pandemic and everything else. I just don't know if this is the year to to dive in with both feet. Real quick, Darren, you you did some you dug in on that scouting stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about kind of what you found? Just a just a completely different process this year. I mean, it was late November, mid to late November before scouts were even allowed on campus, and that really affected a lot more of the watching practice, seeing how guys interact, talking to coaches, human intelligence, kind of on the ground, sort of stuff uh, that they weren't able to do as much this year. Uh, and again, a lot of that's up in the air because there's going to be a new GM running things, and and will have his own ideas about the process. But yeah, it's it's harder to get a read on. You know, I think you'll still be able to tell this guy's fast versus this guy's slow. And this guy is gigantic, and this guy's kind of skinny in the butt and is going to get pushed around. You'll still be able to see that sort of stuff. The stuff you'll miss on is, is this guy a good teammate? Is he a leader? How do people respond to him? Seeing that human interaction between guys on sidelines, talking to strength coaches and academic advisors and people who are in the building and getting a sense for who a kid is, that's, that's some of the stuff that I think is going to be harder to determine. And, and you may miss on something like that this year. And I don't know that it's particular to the Panthers, but – for instance, I mean, the way they're scouting now, each school, I talked to the guy at UNC, they basically have big Zoom calls like this where they have 50, 60 scouts on the Zoom. The academic advisor gets on and talks about UNC kids. Well, in front of the whole league, nobody's going to say, this guy's secretly a jerk. Nobody likes him. We all hate him and can't wait for him to be gone. Whereas if some scout has known somebody at UNC for 100 years, they might get a different read on him in that setting. So I, I think in general, it, it, as I spin it forward to the draft, I mean, somebody who 
somebody who might be a con man, somebody who presents one way and actually behaves another might have an advantage this year because there isn't that kind of deep dive investigative stuff going on. Yeah. I, I, and you know, one of the, the stuff that you're talking about seems like um, all of the things that a are important to being a quarterback in the NFL and are also things that Matt rule and his staff really, really value. So I I do think it's going to be really, really hard to make that, um, to make those decisions. And, uh, you know, Matt, David Tepper talked a lot about the fact that he wants a data driven uh, or his GM to be more data driven and use analytics and, uh, and run the team like a hedge fund. I don't think he said that, but that's kind of. Uh, I, I think the reality on the things that you got to keep some of the stuff Tepper says in context, because I think in his heart, he's kind of a fan too. I mean, he wants to see his ball team do well. And so he gets, Uh, carried away in the talking about stuff sometimes but I I think in general the change in the at the GM position and some of the changes they're going to make in structure moving forward you just got to keep it in context when he bought the place he took the business side of the operation and turned it upside down and gave it a good shake and then started building it again he was going to do that to football eventually anyway this was just kind of the logical next step in that process. And, and Matt Rule was step one, and finding a GM to pair with Matt Rule is going to be step two. I wonder if step one and step two maybe should have been closer together. But whatever. Could nope. be. And, yep. and, I mean, Dave, Dave sort of shrugging. He said, yeah, maybe I don't know. Maybe, you know, could be yes, could be no. And, again, I, I think part of it was, in his mind, he believed that he was so new to the day-to-day function of the business that he didn't want to disrupt everything simultaneously in business and in football. So, you know, say what you will about Marty, the guy was okay at picking players. Um, There's some parts here that people will like having in the future because of him. Um, Yeah, we'll see. I I think it was probably inevitable and he probably would acknowledge that too when a new coach came in that, you know, eventually something like this might happen. Yeah, I think it just ended up in a weird place because most of us thought that there'd be some house cleaning at some point, like you said, with Rivera and everything, and then it didn't happen. And then it was just kind of this, it was never really sewn up. It was never really said, yeah, Marty's still here, kind of in his transitional way. Um, That's what we envisioned him as. It was just kind of like, nope, Marty's still the GM. And so I think that, I think if people knew he was a a transitional GM, that maybe he wouldn't have gotten some of the vitriol. Yeah, maybe. And I also, you can't really treat your people like that, though. I mean, you can't let, you know, Marty do the job for the entire year and and advertise to the entire world. Yeah, he's going to do it for now, but we're really not interested in keeping him or anything. Yeah, that's not good personnel management uh, from that standpoint. But um, we'll see how it ends up. I mean, it's going to be certainly a fascinating uh, search that they'll get into probably first to next week. So you think they're... Yeah, they're jumping in right now. They're like, I mean, obviously. Oh, sorry. You know, I don't want you to. You don't have to break any news. <laughs> or do you? I'm trying to think. The have thing, they signed any contracts? No, no, no contracts have been signed other than mine. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's going to be the real secret. Psh, the Panthers are going to hire another former sports writer's GM. It me. <laughs> um, surprise. Um, yeah. The uh, Yeah, the process will kick in once the regular season's over, and you'll start seeing names of interviews probably pretty soon here. Do you think this is a, a, a search, um, like a, a wide net search, or do you think they've got some individuals? 
I, I mean, there's certainly a list and, and listen, there's no, there's not a lot of secrets here because here's the thing. I mean, I could say a lot of the names that I've heard in the process and, and many of them are very similar to the names that are out there in the world at large, because you know what, all those guys have agents and all those agents talk to reporters all over the place. So yeah, I mean, a lot of the names they, I think would fall into that usual suspect basket. The one thing I think about when Tepper was talking the other week though, that I think some people might've gotten a little far afield because Dave talked about, you know, modern data-driven, all those kind of buzzwords that Dave used. I think people might think that the hire's gonna be more outside the box than it's probably gonna be. My suspicion is when a GM's hired, he's going to be somebody who's either been a GM in the past or is an assistant GM or a college director for somebody now. I, I think it's probably going to end up being a little more in the box than people might suspect. Uh, but I do think it's probably reasonable to assume he'll be younger than 65, um, which means I don't think Bill Polian's coming back. I don't think Dave Gettleman's coming back necessarily. But Let me uh, get a pen. I got to cross some people off my list yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> So they've had their turns, um, you know, and, and again, I, I am younger than Marty Herney. So again, it's me, um, <laughs> but yeah, I do. I think there are certain boxes that a guy's going to check. I mean, he will be younger. He will be more amenable to new ways of doing business. I mean, Marty was an old scout, you know, even though he was an old newspaper guy, he kind of lived like a scout. He was a guy who wanted to be on the road, wanted to grind tape, wanted to talk to people all the time. That was the way he did business. So analytics to him was a language he did not grow up speaking. Darren, you have my vote for GM. That's how it works, right? The fan I base just I'd votes. I think standing job, frankly. Do they do it like the, like the Pro Bowl starters? Is it just a fan vote? Or is there is it like fan vote plus coaches plus players like equal? There's an obstacle course at the end, <laughs> and then you have to watch the chimney to see when the smoke changes colors because that's when they name the GM. Turns blue, turns blue. That's exactly. Before we move on to week 17, I'm just curious when you look at this fan base, is it the majority that's that's mad about this this win that we had on Sunday, or would you say that's the just just the very loud people on social media? Yeah. I, one of my overarching theories of society is we've allowed far too many people to publish and uh, we hear a whole lot from the loudest 5% on either end of the spectrum. And what people forget is the other 90% live there in the middle. And I, I, I think most people, listen, most people have a bargain with their football team. They'd prefer them to win than lose. Uh, they want things to work out well for them. But Charlotte's a nice place to live. So I don't think people are getting as angry about the football here as they do in Cleveland, where it's dreadful and cold all year long. And we're not sitting out in the sunshine in December. So, um, yeah, I think most people have a reasonable expectation. And I think most reasonable people knew that this was going to be a rebuild year. It was going to take a minute. The pieces weren't necessarily all in place. So, you know, again, I try to, I'm trying as I age to pay less attention to the five percenters and more attention to the 90 in the middle. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I always talk to, so um, my, like my best friend and I talk about the Panthers a lot and like, it is always very refreshing to me to call him and, and he'll be like, man, I really like Teddy. And I'm like, what? 
what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, like he's fun. Like he's out there, he's running, he's diving for touchdowns. Like, yeah, he's not the best quarterback, but like, they're not going to be that good. Like we knew they weren't going to be that good. And I was like, oh, is this what, is this how most people that are not typing 280 characters at a time, is that how they feel? I'm sure there are some, you know, people that don't feel that exact way, but. And I think a lot of them also understand that no matter, and again, I, I know I'm probably, you guys have plowed all the Teddy ground for the last six weeks, but, you know, the reality is Teddy came into a situation where he thought he was going to be playing with Christian McCaffrey. Whoops, um, he's not there anymore. And I, and I think the absence of Christian McCaffrey ought to factor in to your evaluation of Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, he's, he's out there with a couple of thousand-yard receivers, plus Curtis Samuel. Things are pretty good on that place. But he would look a lot different if Christian McCaffrey was in the backfield with him. And I, and I think you've got to factor that in somewhere in along the way on some of this stuff. You know, one of the things, talking about the fans' frustrations over the years, of course, is the uh, we want to be over 500, you know, winning record two years in a row. The thing is, this team – has entertained more than half of the season. Like the games that they've played in, most of the season, it's been entertaining. I, I, I don't need – I don't – I don't. I mean, like I want the wild card experience for these guys. Like, yeah, like I'd, I'd rather – but like I don't – I, I want to see this team ultimately win a Super Bowl. That's the ultimate goal. It's not – like I'm not hung up on, oh, let's do everything we can to make sure we try and get to nine and seven – because that's better, even if it's boring. Like, this seems entertaining and, and has a chance to grow. Yeah, I think we've been making this analogy for the longest time. Darren, I'm sure you're a weekly listener, so you're probably sick of hearing us talk about oh. how, yeah, the, the Hornets from uh, last year's Hornets team and this year's Panthers team, I feel like had a lot of um, similarities in that they're, they're both young teams yeah. when, you know, they didn't really have that, many, that much of an expectation and a new coaching staff – young core that if you saw some improvement and they were able to keep you engaged and keep you excited, then that, that is, that should be a successful season. I think a lot of people when they won and this, I will keep harping on this when they won those three games in the beginning of the season, it flipped everyone's expectations on their head. And had they won those three games spread out over seven weeks, I think we would be a lot, we'd be seeing a lot less vitriol. But the way that the season went, they were three and two. They started getting a little bit of national prub. Yeah. They started getting a little bit of like, well, could this team make the playoffs? And then all of a sudden they had lost five straight. And then it was just like, oh, no, I hate this team. And it, it just kind of – I think they were a victim of circumstance a little bit. Yeah, I remember during a post-game show during that three-game stretch, you know, I was talking to Eugene Robinson and I said – Gene, let's don't get it twisted. These cats got a five-game losing streak in them. This, <laughs> this team is entirely capable of, you know, so sometimes I see the future, which is why I'm going to be a great GM. Absolutely. <laughs> you already got our votes. You don't, you don't need to campaign. I don't need us. to continue to campaign. So, <laughs> But I like it. Um, Teddy time, is he feeling the pressure right now? Uh. He's got to be right. I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, I, he seems like a pretty cool cat, but uh, the past couple weeks of press conferences don't seem quite as uh, loosey goosey as maybe they were in the past. Um, and he is a guy that is on social media. I mean, he 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 doesn't make any bones about it. So I, I'm sure he's seen those and read the press clippings and uh, you know stuff like that. I, I think it's I do, and I'm sure he 
heard what David Tepper said about quarterback and who had plenty of chances to give him a, a vote of confidence, and I don't think he did. So I think I think he is feeling the pressure a little bit, but at the same time, it's the NFL, you're a starting quarterback, you're going to feel pressure. Yeah, he should. I mean, if he if he's not, he ought to. I I don't think anybody, you know, if you if you look at the way they're going into the offseason, no one should feel absolutely secure, probably other than Matt Rule and Jeremy Chin and Derek Brown and guys like that. I mean, otherwise, this team's still going to churn a good bit in the next couple of years. I mean, again, I think I keep going back to Teddy when he played with a really good veteran roster and one of the five best coaches in the NFL, he looked like a good quarterback. And when he was on a rebuilding team with a rookie head coach, less so. So I, I, I struggle as I try to evaluate or, or think about where Teddy fits into the big picture. I keep coming back. He, he feels like DeLome plus to me. He, he's a different version of Jake DeLome. He's oh never going to be a top five quarterback in the NFL, but he's certainly the kind of guy who could reasonably get a team to the playoffs. Again, last year in New Orleans, he went 5-0 and uh, with a pretty good Saints team. So, you know, how much of that was his responsibility, we could argue about, but, you know, we've seen him succeed in other situations. So what you mentioned there about Jake DeLone plus is what I think this is the best case scenario for the Panthers. If you think you're going to have a super talented team with a bunch of guys is to have a guy like Teddy Bridgewater, because it's the same principle as having the quarterback <laughs> on the rookie deal. Even if he's a high first round pick, it's still better than the going rate for, for a quarterback. If you could get a guy like this, you don't risk your draft capital and you and you get a, a serviceable guy that can get the ball where it needs to be, can get the ball to CMC when he's back on the field, if he's ever back on the field. Um, you know, the guy that can do that at that price point, that's a real boon for you in terms of being able to surround that guy with even more talent. There's more than one way to, to, to skin this proverbial cat to get yourself a playoff team. And that's really why I thought the Teddy's – the Teddy swing was a worth, worthwhile one because, to me, even now if you draft a guy in the first round, I would like to see Teddy be the starting quarterback next year. Now, obviously, things got a little weird with, you know, some of Tepper's remarks here recently, but I, I still think that that's the best-case scenario, and if he plays well, you can let that youngster sit for a year, and there, that would be the absolute best-case scenario. I love drafting a quarterback and letting him sit. Um, and also, sorry, like I do. I like. I think that's the best. I think that's the best case scenario. Every a hundred times out of a hundred, maybe maybe ninety nine times out of a hundred. But like, uh, there are like we live in this microwave society where it's like three weeks into the season, and it's like, well, Justin Herbert's not starting yet, and so he must be a huge bust. And it's like that. Just the best quarterbacks don't start immediately. Like it is tried and true you look at the best quarterbacks in the league right now the top five quarterbacks none of them started immediately did I just did I get it right I'm trying to go off the top of my head Mahomes Lamar uh Aaron Rodgers Drew Brees Tom Brady the list goes on and on Will Greer like this thing is uh, like they're all they're all the this list you gotta sit you gotta learn <laughs> I, I think so, but it depends on what you pass up uh, if, to draft a developmental quarterback. I, I like it in theory as long as you know that guy is going to be the guy. And whoever they hire as the GM will probably have strong feelings about somebody from that class in particular. He might be a Justin Fields guy. He might be a Trey Lance guy. 
um, or others. I mean, he may be a Kyle Trask guy. I don't know. Um, but it depends on what you pass up. Because, again, if if you told me in a vacuum the Carolina Panthers took the eighth pick and turned it into a five-year starter at defensive tackle next to Derek Brown, that's justifiable. If you turn it into a starting corner who develops into a pro bowler, it's kind of hard to argue with needing one of those. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways to twist this thing. And I'm, I'm with you. You have to pick an individual. I mean, again, like if he'd have played better this year, then I just said they bought you a year and you didn't even have to worry about it this yeah. year, where, you know, in the first place. Let's look ahead to week 17. Are there any particular players that you want to see Sunday versus New Orleans? Will uh, Greer. No, I'm just <laughs> See uh, what we got. <laughs> an honest look? No, I think what you want to see – I think you just want to see the people you're going to be counting on in the future continue to play better. One of the guys stood out to me the last three weeks, Derek Brown is playing a ton of snaps. I mean, like a Gerald McCoy level, that 90% snap count kind of stuff, which is unusual for a person of his size to be playing that many snaps. So, you know, how Derek Brown holds up with big snap count loads in December is going to be instructive as things improve around it. Yep. I mean, it really boils down to the, to the usual suspects for me on, on defense. Um, on offense, I really want everybody else just to have an offseason. I want to see, I want to see Teddy and DJ have an offseason. I want to, have, you know, it really comes down to just seeing Chen, Derek Brown, and, and the young guys on D. How about uh, a guy that I would like to see a little bit more of, but we've already seen a, a fair amount of him in the past couple of weeks is Rodney Smith, uh, undrafted free agent running back. And I, don't I think Mike Davis may have played himself out of the backup to being Christian McCaffrey here um, from a contract standpoint? Maybe not. He may have just yeah. he may have just solidified that spot. But if he didn't, I think you have to look to some some one of these young guys. And this is a spot for somebody like Rodney Smith, where you know you can make an impression. I mean, we saw it two years ago against the New Orleans Saints. A young quarterback named Kyle Allen uh, was could uh, like considered somebody that was going to be out of the league and uh, impressed some very high up people in Carolina. And now is like, when you read the Washington, like, I don't know if you paid attention over the past week. I mean, the Washington football team fans, they were just begging for Kyle. Is Kyle Allen going to be able to come back for the playoffs? Like if Allen comes back, we might have a shot. And it's just like, what Kyle Allen? Kyle Al. Allen. Same our, our Kyle? Yeah. Our Kyle? That being yeah. said, love Kyle Allen. Great guy. But, uh, and I was so happy to see Taylor Heineke get some run, too. Go Heineke. Get it. I was uh, hoping big... to see Heineke throw the Hail Mary. Oh, my God. That, that... that would have been – you know, that would have just brought the whole thing around full circle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the biggest thing for Rodney Smith is he's, he's got one fumble this year. Don't put it on the turf again. Hmm. Yeah. And, and one thing, Josh, you made a point about Mike maybe pricing himself out of the, the equation. This offseason is going to be so weird mm-hmm. because right now with the salary cap sitting at 175, and I think a lot of people around the league think that it's going to be more than that by the time the spring rolls around and they won't be operating at $175 million cap. But if that's what it is, a lot of guys who want to make more than the minimum are going to have to decide – 
do I take what's offered to me now and maybe not get anything other than the floor? I mean, the reality is it's going to be a tight offseason for a lot of people. So your middle-class veterans like Mike Davis may want to jump at the first thing offered. You saw a lot of NBA guys do that this offseason is we don't know where the money's going to be. So as soon as something gets offered, yeah, sold, I'll take that. So Four years, know, $120 million, I'll take it. Yeah, no question. Let me, let me get on some of that. So I don't know. I mean, if Mike Davis is a guy who thinks I shouldn't have to play for the minimum anymore – you know, it could lead him someplace else. Because I think there are a lot of positions, not just him in particular, but I think there's a lot of spots where you're going to see that, where, okay, we're going to start with these known commodities who are making next to zero and build from there rather than trying to build from the middle down. Do the Panthers have a shot in this game? What What is New Orleans? Are they playing for something? Uh, the first seed, they would need they would need all the other things to happen to be the first seed. So ostensibly, they have something to play for. They'll be interested, but I'm sure there'll be a good bit of scoreboard watching because they would need both results to flip with Seattle and Green Bay. And they would, I mean, they're they're also playing for the first sweep of the NFC South in in division history, which I think Sean Payton wants because he's a dick. <laughs> yeah, but sorry, Sean, if you're listening. <laughs> And he listens all the time. We were talking about that yep. the other day. Um, so it's, um, yeah, I guess, sure. But I, I, I think, too, if you get to a point where Sean looks up at the scoreboard and sees that the Packers are beating the hell out of the Bears, then he'd be like, all right, we're good. Let's slide on out of here. Go, Would it be Jameis time? Go run around, Taysom Hill, do a thing, mm. you know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, the biggest thing for them is how do they think Breeze, you know, are they going to make a Breeze decision? He may want to, he may want to get work for multiple quarterbacks, actually. It's mm, a good point. Tommy Stevens' revenge game? Break some news, Darren. He's getting elevated? Absolutely. Tommy Stevens' revenge. Uh, it's a double secret revenge because he's gone <laughs> back and forth now. So. What is Joe Tolliver up to? Can we get him back? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy it uh yeah it's, it's gonna be a mess but I, I had a flashback to the Kyle Allen versus Teddy Bridgewater game the other year too and it was like oh that was going it, it feels like a long time ago but maybe that's just 2020 the you know I was joking with Nikki earlier I said you know the events of the last week feels like they occurred over a 10-year span and you know oh by the way they fired a GM on Monday so not 10 years ago not Lord. 10 years ago <laughs> <laughs> that is any crazy. other any other week 17 thoughts i was really hung over for that teddy bridgewater kyle allen battle i don't know if that uh <laughs> that happened Superdome. a lot down there according to sources close to me yeah <laughs> superdome press box it'll it is a uh it'll get you what would what would chin need to lock lock up a rookie of the year are you gonna tell me yeah. two touchdowns in the game? Are you gonna tell me you can't do that? I don't <laughs> think two touchdowns in the game is gonna get the job done. I, I I hate to be a spoil sport, but Chase Young's gonna be defensive rookie of the year. Yeah. Sorry. Draft, major market, NFCs, playoffs. Sorry. Spoilers. He's had a really nice year. He's fun. And he's you know what? Uh he is he is one of those young pieces that we should be really excited about. So that is someone to look forward to over the next five years to be maybe not rookie of the year, but that doesn't mean he can't win defensive player in the year in two years. You know, Darren, a guy that he kind of reminds me of 
is is Thomas Davis in terms of his ability to be around the ball. I just feel like he, you know, they've got him playing back there in center field. I want him playing closer to the line of scrimmage more and more. Yeah, you know, and again, because I'm an old, I was around for Thomas's rookie year. Thomas was a barely guided missile uh, his rookie season. No one knew exactly where he was going to land. They knew he was going fast and he was going to hit something hard when he got there, but nobody knew where he was pointed. And Jeremy Chin is already more instinctive than Thomas Davis was as a rookie. Chin doesn't get that, oh, my God, he's in the completely wrong place thing that you saw happen with Thomas every now and then. And I'm not saying that Thomas didn't turn out to be a great player. Thomas was a better football player after the ACLs because he understood football. And early on, he didn't. But Chin is is really instinctive and really aware of the stuff happening around him. There hadn't been that many times this year where I saw him and thought, that guy does not know where he's supposed to be right now. Yeah. I just meant more in terms of him playing – linebacker or playing closer to the to the line of scrimmage yeah he's awfully narrow I mean Thomas carried his 235 a lot differently he's a shorter guy he's a wider guy um you know so Thomas always had it in him to be 235 pushing 240 Uh, Jeremy Chin ain't gonna carry 240 that's never gonna happen until he's old and retired and fat like me um so it's just I I think he's eventually Five years from now, he'll eventually be a safety. It's just a matter of time. And they had better grades of safety than they had linebackers. So let's put him there. And towards the end, I feel like if Thomas was at 240, he had 20 pounds in a backpack. But, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Although I remember when Thomas was – I remember Rick saying – I used the word athletic in relation to Thomas. And Rick said, you've never seen him without a shirt on, have you? And I was like, oh, that's shade from your college coach. Um, but, you know, he was referring to Thomas not being as toned as he could have been maybe. But, uh, yeah, Thomas was just – I mean, he had a wider carriage. So, it was always going to look different on him. That's good draft talk right there, a wide carriage. Wide He's got a wide <laughs> carriage. Yeah. Chin, on the other hand, is narrow in the seat. <laughs> so – so you're replacing Marty Herney and Jay Billis. So you're gonna you're gonna do both. You're gonna invent draft terms and and GM Panthers. Yeah. Well, unlike you guys, I'm not just gonna swear on the podcast because my mom listens every week, and I don't want her to think that's how I'm living down here in the city. We that's appreciate fair. the cookies, though. So thank you. Yeah. Well, you have an hey, you got cookies too. <laughs> <laughs> if you're gonna be the GM, you got this image up hold. There's there's no cursing on a podcast. True, true. I, I'm going to save that all for press conferences during the off-the-record portion. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll light them up then. No, nothing really drives home a point at a press conference than when somebody curses. Like, you always – you see all the reporters, like, when, when, when somebody is just like – like, when they start to get animated and they drop an F-bomb, you're just like, oh, well, 247, yeah. quote. Those people would have really enjoyed the Bill Polian years. The stories <laughs> I could tell. <laughs> um yeah polian he was a he was kind of a red ass sometimes whoops i did it oh uh, yeah you know bill bill had a way with profanity at times there was a definite it was an art form for him uh mr gm here's a mr what is it gm in waiting let's call you that what happens preordained we can <laughs> call it whatever we want this is happening in this uh, non-Marty world now, 
what are we looking at in terms of re-signing Taylor Moten and Curtis Samuel? Well, I mean, I talked to Anything change? Yeah, I, I don't think anything's really changed. When I talked to Samir Suleiman, the cap guy, a couple weeks ago for a story, I mean, he said what I thought was the piece of news people should have heard out of that, which was probably not going to be able to afford both of them. Um, and I think there is – I think I can say this honestly. I think there is a real desire for Taylor Moten to not play somewhere else. So I think they're going to try to hang on to him if they can. Uh, maybe that means sign him. Maybe that means tag him. Uh, Curtis, well, I don't know. I, I don't know that – I mean, A, it's not as much of a priority because it's not as a priority a position because of what they got left on the offensive line. And, and Taylor's so good at what he does. So I, I think Taylor's obviously the priority of the two of them, and they're not going to be able to sign them both. But – I, I think they will make a reasonable effort to keep Taylor Moten, yes. I think there is a lot of there are a lot of people out there that once when, when a player hits free agency and signs with another team, there is a weird assumption that the team that he just left made no effort to sign him. Right. And 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 this is a two way street for every single free agent. Like it is never a well, like the Panthers are not going to offer you a contract. Okay, good. Well, I wasn't going to sign here anyway. You can't fire me. I quit. Uh, and, and I think that – but you could also go to Curtis Samuel or Taylor Moten and say, we'll give you four years, $40 million, and the agent could be like, I'm good. We're good. We don't want to play behind DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson anymore. We want to go be a number one guy somewhere. Yeah. I don't want to play right tackle. I want to be fullback. Right. And go back to Andrew Norwell a couple of years ago, the mm-hmm. great white Buffalo. They wanted to keep Norwell. They, they thought he was a guy they was worth hanging on to, but Jacksonville came in and made a ridiculous cash offer. So it's like, well, yeah, I'm going to go take this cash. Nothing against you guys. And, you know, there are going to be some teams. Jacksonville is one of them again. Whoa. It's almost like bad teams keep going on the same cycle. Um, but, you know, they'll be able to throw cash at people. And if they want to throw enough of it at certain guys, that's where those guys are going to go. Because, again, we, you know, fans get hung up on my team does this and I want this for my team. But these guys are all independent contractors. And for some of them, this is their one chance to ring the bell and make all the money they're ever going to make in their careers. So I, I never begrudge a guy taking a ridiculous amount of money. I laughed yeah. when. When, when Herney was let go the other day, Charles Johnson chimed in and it's like, that's my guy. I was like, yeah, that's your guy. He put $75 million in your pocket, Charles. Of course he's your guy. Uh, yeah, if you, if you look next year, and even if the cap drops, which it, which it probably obviously will, um, the Panthers are currently – they sit, according to Track, as the 14th with the 14th most yeah. cap room in the league, 60 million less than the Jacksonville Jaguars. 60 million dollars. Do you know how many Taylor Motens and Curtis Samuels, Nefe Abadas, and and uh, Rasul Douglases and Mike Davises you could sign for that much? Are you sure you can sign a Taylor Moten for 60? Mm, good point. <laughs> if you got if you got a rookie contract. Yeah. Uh, if you got a rookie QB under contract, then you can. So. Uh, Josh, are we turning this over to you for the game? Are we, um, are we there yet? Yeah, I know, Colin. Colin, you wanted to talk about. Uh, you wanted to talk to Darren yeah. as a fellow historian. 
as a, as a fellow Panther historian, uh, the the semifinalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you know, were announced. Uh, I think back in November, there are five linebackers on that list of twenty five: Clay Matthews, Zach Thomas, Patrick Willis, Cornelius Bennett, and our Sam Mills. So, uh, I'm just curious your optimism um on sam's ability because he only has a couple years we were discussing there's a couple years left to get into the hall of fame yeah i here's what i will say about sam i believe that sam mills deserves to be in the hall of fame there are probably a lot of people who have one of the other 48 votes like i have who believe that zach thomas was better than sam mills or whatever and you can have an esoteric argument about that uh but i believe that sam did enough in his career to be deserving to be in the hall of fame regardless any other player i mean whatever comparison you want to make sam deserves to be in the hall of fame because sam was a great player and sam was a great player for three teams i mean usfl matters because that's where jim mora was like whoa, look at this guy. He's little, but he sure can play. And then he goes and he was the guts of a New Orleans defense. It was one of the best in the league. And and I just don't think, I, I almost feel disrespectful saying this because I don't mean it in any disrespectful way. I think because Sam Mills had the cancer battle and the keep pounding and and that was the context that we viewed Sam Mills in, he kind of became this inspirational figure as opposed to just being a damn great football player. I mean, Sam was tremendous at playing football. He was small. He could play leverage. He could be physical with guards who had him by 75 pounds and six inches worth of height because low man wins. And Sam was always the low man. And and he was the guts and the brains of great defenses in New Orleans and Carolina and, and really was kind of a foundation piece for everything that happened here. He wasn't just a slogan. He wasn't just an inspirational figure. I mean, he was the guy – that Bill Polian and, and Dom Capers went out in 1995 and was one of the first guys they got because that's what they wanted their team to be like. And he kind of made this team over in his own image. And you mentioned, um, you know, towards the end of the uh, becoming the inspiration, his 96 All-Pro vote too. They didn't start the All-Pro team until 94. His previous All-Pro teams basically get discounted because he actually has an official all protein uh, or selection from 96, where it kind of looks like an attaboy for the veteran who made one in his age 36 season when that wasn't, um, it wasn't the case at all. A couple numbers just real quick on Sam Mills. There have been six inside linebackers to win 100 NFL games. Sam Mills is on that list with Ray Lewis, Mike Singletary, Carl Mecklenburg, Hardy Nickerson, and Brian Erlocker. Now, Hardy Nickerson makes it despite a sub-500 winning percentage in his career. Um, but looking at the other win percentages, Sam's uh, win percentages it, it, you know, for his career was 57%, Ray Lewis 56%, Singletary 60%, Mecklenburg 60%. These are the guys at the inside linebacker position. And you mentioned the USFL counts. If you were to count Sam Mills's wins from the USFL, no professional football player, in the history of football, has more wins as an inside linebacker than Sam Mills. And that's a pretty cool stat. Yeah. And I've always, you know, I, I've always kind of remembered, I, I was talking to Jim Moore about a year ago about this, and, and Moore's like, he's the best player I ever coached. It's like, 
Jim, you, you had Reggie White. You, you know, you, you've coached some really good – you have Peyton Manning. Are you sure you want to say that? It's, um, but, you know, Sam had that effect on people. Coaches loved him. Teammates loved him uh, because he represented, you know, all the stuff that football people talk about, football is supposed to be about. And, you know, too, I, I think we'd be remiss in the last week. You know, we also lost Kevin Green. And Kevin was a guy alongside a contemporary Sam. And, you know, it's it's unfortunate. I was talking to Kevin a few weeks ago, about two weeks ago, and we were talking about Sam. And I'll never forget, Kevin just said, you know, he said, I used to think I worked hard. I used to think I prepared. I used to think I was a professional. But I get to Carolina and I meet Sam Mills, and it's like he's taking everything next level. And, and, and that's Kevin Green, one of the best pass rushers in the history of the game. Um, may rest in peace. But it's, uh, you know, to hear the respect he had in his voice and talking about Sam, to me, sort of cements the impact a guy has on other players. Because, you know, writers can vote. We can have discussions. Players, players know. And all players are going to say nice things about their buddies. But you can tell when that tone of voice shifts. And it's like, this guy's one of the guys, you know, we, we know. And, and to me, Sam was one of the guys. And, and I've got, you know, a tremendous amount of help in that committee talking about Sam, you know, the guys in New Orleans, guys in Philadelphia who saw him up close on a day-to-day basis, they know, and they're spreading the word too. And I think, you know, I, I hope for Sam's family's sake, he, he gets to the final 15 again this year. So we have an opportunity to discuss him more fully. The, the last thing I want to say about him is every place he went had zero culture of winning, and that's Philadelphia. Then they moved in that third year to Baltimore, then New Orleans, who in 24 years had never even played in a playoff game, and then Carolina. All those places had, had a culture of winning established with Sam Mills there. Pretty cool. Yeah. That was a great moment and a great little segment. I love that was real. Yep, and now we'll play a dumb game, uh, <laughs> as is our as is our uh, as is our want here on one day contract. Uh, because everybody seems to be very focused in on draft position, um, I thought that it would be a fun game to play uh, a little game. I don't know if you're familiar with. Uh, we usually play a game called Cam to K one, which is where you rate uh-huh. things from one to ninety nine. Which uh, soon enough we'll have multiple former players in the in the name of that game but today we're going to play a game called uh called cam to gamble which is a one through 20 if you will and uh what we're going to do is i'm going to give you a year of the nfl draft and you can have any selection we're going to do all three here um any selection from cam to gamble uh, the only trick is you can't actually say the number. You just need to say a, a name of a Carolina Panther that wore that jersey number. Um, and uh, and I will give you that player. And then we'll just we'll just kind of hang out and see, uh, you know, where, where some good players are. We're going to start in the year 2004 um, when the 28th pick in the draft from the Carolina Panthers was cornerback Chris Gamble. Namesake, right? I mean, couldn't it, couldn't start out better. Uh, you get to choose Cam through Gamble. Darren, you're our guest. We'll allow you to, to choose first. Um, let's see. What if I said John Casey? Mm. Who's the fourth pick in that draft? Well, uh, you are. You are. You have selected 
Philip Rivers. Pretty good. Pretty good quarterback. Soon to be traded. But, uh, but yes, um, you have selected Philip Rivers at the top of the draft, the second quarterback taken um, in the 2004 draft, the first of three quarterbacks to be taken in the top 10, in the top 11, excuse me, first of four quarterbacks to be taken in the top 22. By the way, the next time you talk to Bill Both, make sure to point out to him that Philip Rivers is a future Hall of Famer. <laughs> um, yeah, and tell him I said so. I definitely will. All right, well, I'll try and keep the quarterback thing going and also the uh, the Bill thing going, Harold. What about uh, 16 for Vinny Testaverde? Mm, you have not selected a quarterback. You have selected guard Sean Andrews from the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, who started – no, this can't be right. He couldn't have had three. He played in 63 total games and had, according to uh, Pro Football Reference, an approximate value of 34, which is not great. <laughs> I think he was hurt a lot. I, I think Sean Andrews was hurt a lot. See, yeah. there you go. It happens. Yeah. yeah. Nikki, what do you got? Uh, I'm going to say Curtis Samuel. All right. That is number 10. You have selected cornerback or defensive back, Dunta Robinson. Who remembers Dunta? Not a great pick. Selected immediately before the Pittsburgh Steelers selected Ben Roethlisberger with the 11th pick in the NFL draft. That pick turned out pretty good uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Also selected in the first round in this draft, uh, quarterback J.P. Lossman went to the Buffalo Bills at 22. So um, just goes to show you that you can there – are, there were three good quarterbacks in the first round and also J.P. Lossman. So uh, that, was, <laughs> that was in 2004. And uh, I wanted to I, – I don't know whether I want to, like, do specific – specifically good drafts for the Carolina Panthers, but um, – I am going to – we're going to jump back to 1995. You probably remember the number five pick in the 1995, but uh, you, can, you can select Cam through Chris Gamble. The Panthers had two first-round picks. Uh, number 22 was Tyrone Poole, mm-hmm. of course, uh, from Fort Valley State. And, Nikki, you have the – you get the first pick here, just for funsies. P.J. Walker. Mm, that's fun. Selected immediately after Kerry Collins went to the Carolina Panthers at five, the St. Louis Rams, right? In 1995, St. Louis Rams, St. Louis Cardinals. Sounds funny, huh? Yeah. Was it the Rams or the Cardinals in 1995? Yeah. Yeah, it was the Rams. Okay. Uh, that, they selected defensive end Kevin Carter. Kevin Carter. I don't know who that is. I'm Solid. not doing good in they're, this game. They're Charles Johnson. So, Nikki, you, you've got – who do you have? What's your team made up of? Kevin Carter and a terrible guard from uh... – <laughs> No, just... no, you got Dunta Robinson. Uh, I did not realize, realize this guy um, had two numbers when he was with the Panthers, but Marty's um, departure made me think of him. Reese Lloyd wore number eight. Mm. Uh, right, number eight because because nothing says <laughs> nothing says winning football like having two kickers on the roster absolutely <laughs> as long as you don't put one of them on the practice squad you just selected wide receiver joey galloway pretty good pretty good pick for the seattle seahawks oh. is, he available this week? is he available this week <laughs> <laughs> darren 
Who do you got? Ah, uh, let's see. I could I could cheat and say Kerry Collins. You could. That I, would be. I remember I, that draft three well. Different pick though. <laughs> no, well, number twelve yeah. that year was pretty good. <laughs> he was. You you will you will be selecting Hall of Famer Warren Sapp with your selection. Uh, rival of Steve Smith, apparently they're doing some some jawing back and forth. Are, are they beefing? There's some they, beef on the twitters. They oh, beefing. Boy. That's out there in those Twitter streets. Warren, you Warren was actually part of some great Panthers beef pre-Twitter. I remember uh, when Brinson Buckner was talking about him, and I remember Warren Sapp said, "The only thing I know about Brinson Buckner is he ain't got no pineapple in his diet," which was Sapp's way of saying this man's never been to the Pro Bowl. Why is he speaking of me? So uh, that was that was good shade with Warren. Yeah, That's he and good Chris beef. Jenkins had a good had a good thing going there. Warren, of course, was was highly thought of, but fell because <gasps> he smoked weed. What? Oh, we That's how far we've come in twenty five years. Scary, scary weed. Um. Also, with Warren, talent, but you know, <sighs> can't smoke that. Can't smoke that dope. Um. Was Warren Sapp was the defensive was on that defensive line when. The Bucks and the Panthers were playing at Bank of America Stadium, and they put—I believe it was the Catman yeah. on the on the big screen. Yeah. And the Catman said something about how terrible the defensive line was, and they they showed Warren on the on the big screen, and he kind of like looked up and smiled, and then immediately murdered whichever quarterback it was. <laughs> sure, yeah, that that didn't help. That that was not helpful to the effort that day. Yeah, that was a fun one. I, I I always remember that that particular one. Let's do another one from our namesake, the 2011 draft. A lot of good names in this one. Cam to Chris Gamble, and Cam is off the board with the number one pick. Uh, Colin, you get your choice. Do you remember who went in this? Who else went in this draft? Because there are some spectacular names here. Oh yeah, no, oh because we at the time we were debating Cam versus Patrick Peterson. We were debating Cam versus Nick Farrelly. Uh, uh Marcel Darius, I think, was also in the mix. AJ um, Green. AJ Green was was certainly in the mix. Yeah. Was he really in the mix? So I, I have to no, I have to if, I, if it wasn't Cam, AJ was gonna be the guy. Really? If they, had, if they hadn't chosen Cam first overall, it would have been a it would have been AJ Green. It would have been so AJ it, Green over Vaughn Miller. Not even not not any of the other quarterbacks because that was kind of the well the other quarterbacks were Blaine Gabbard and Jake Locker they were terrible. Tommy Shay told me that Blaine Gabbard was going to be good. Yeah, only Mike <laughs> Mayock believed that. That wasn't a real thing that actual people thought. I think Sports Illustrated thought that didn't they put them on the cover? They said it was the toughest call in America. Yeah, or maybe not. I I don't know. It's uh yeah. I, I don't know. That that draft to me felt like it. that's when I turned the corner to officially being an old guy because the consensus, people would say certain things, and I'd be like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Nobody <laughs> actually <laughs> believes that, do they? You don't think Blaine Gabbert's better than Cam Newton, do you? What idiot would think that? <laughs> Look at the completion percentage and the analytics. I yeah, think. <laughs> of course, and the hair or something. I don't know. Got a He's good-looking girlfriend. To learn, which is what they. <laughs> uh, I'll take Steve Berline, number seven, off this board. Uh, oh boy, you well, you, I mean, you did get defensive end Alden Smith, so it could be worse. Um, it certainly could be better. Um, there are certainly better guys in this in this uh, in this top twenty, um, but Alden Smith 
nothing to shake a stick at. Did you didn't you bust. my Will Greer pick? Is that what you just did, Colin? Uh, kind of. Will Greer, <laughs> well, this year you did. Sorry, Nikki. Womp womp. Nikki, who do you want? What's well, your... Let's go Teddy time. Oh, okay. All right. Well, you you got corner Patrick Peterson, so that's a uh, that's a nice selection out of LSU. I'm I'm proud of you for that one, Darren. What do you got? One out of three. Nice. Um, let's see. Was, do you remember Matt, this one? Was it Matt Lytle who went number six, or did he wear number six? I don't remember what I don't. I I was trying you to don't think remember of Matt Lytle is the truth of this story. Is uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I believe he was wearing number – he wore number eight at Notre Dame, just from a quick Google. Uh, oh, man, tough to get him in a Panthers jersey. Nine. Nine. Oh, man, really? Mm-hmm. Hmm, Maybe it's go. because every time I saw Matt Lytle, he was upside down. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, boy, that, those were the days. I can't believe of all the people I've talked about, Matt Lytle's name came falling out of my head. Uh, well, you – you selected Tyron Smith. I know it seemed like you were ch- you were you were chugging pretty hard for Julio there at number six, but uh, yeah. it ends up with um, with Tyron Smith at nine. This draft is absolutely stacked, and uh, like yeah. just it's insane. JJ Watt number eleven. Um, I'm still yeah. over here thinking about my AJ Green Steve Smith uh, receiver duo that I'm have to try on a, on a Madden mod or something. Yes. Would they have – so if they didn't draft Cam, would they have kept Clawson as the quarterback or would they have gone out and signed somebody else? Like Marty was, Marty was considering looking at sports writers oh. that he thought could be starting quarterbacks. And I know he seems a little older now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just loosening up my arm. <laughs> There's only so many jobs around this place I can do, y'all. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to think of the AJ Green and Steve Smith huddle with Jimmy Clausen just dropping dimes. <laughs> what I mean, that is that is a locker room set that, to blow. Well, Brian, <laughs> St. Brian St. Pierre was available. Yeah, that poor kid. I always feel kind of sorry for Jimmy because he tried to do everything right. He was just sort of an awkward kid that never fit in and obviously wasn't great at football. But I remember – when he got here his rookie year, he orders this pallet of cactus cooler, this soda that they have in California. And he was trying to kiss up to Steve and get Steve to be his friend by ordering a vast quantity of soda that Steve might like. And Steve just looked at him like he was on fire and kept walking the other <laughs> direction. Oh, uh, that's tremendous. Um, but oh, you know Jimmy. what though? Like we what could have been Jimmy is like Jimmy gets heat now, but it's not like old Jeff Lewis where they cut Steve Burlon so that they could start Jeff Lewis. Like that's the worst quarterback decision probably in franchise history. Cause you know, we've gotten lucky because they could have gone, they could have gone with Joey Harrington instead of Jake DeLome, or they could have gone with AJ Green. And then well, that would have been Joey Harrington instead of Julius Peppers. So I think in mm. hindsight, that was probably. I don't know if you know this, but the quarterback position is vitally important, Darren. You and never know when you're going to be that high in the draft again. You got to pick, you got to strike while this Joey is Harrington is hot. Get, this is where you get quarterbacks, Darren. Yeah, I know. It's funny when you look back, what's that, 18 years on something and we're having the exact same conversations again? It's Weird. almost like. 
this thing runs in a cycle and it doesn't have to be that hard. So <laughs> Zach Wilson looks like Jimmy Clausen. Go ahead. No, I don't I mean, I don't know about Zach Wilson. People who scout. Oh, I just meant like in his face. Like they literally, they look the same. <laughs> oh, they look, know? they look very similar. Like put pictures of them on on the screen here, and uh, and they look the same. Oh, poor kid. Uh, oh, all, all the white guys look the same to me. <laughs> yeah, they really do. I, I mean, honestly, all I know of Zach Wilson is what I saw against Coastal Carolina one night. Mm-hmm. And nothing I saw that night screamed at me. This is the next Patrick Mahomes. I don't know. Maybe he's a lot better than that. Maybe, yeah, I'm sure he played better in other games over the course of the year. But, I, uh, yeah, that's my limited one-game scouting report while having a cocktail and watching. And sending out. Clears. I, keep, I always want to say Chanticleers, but I know that's not right. And sending out the tweet of the year, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah, about yeah. the, you know, not the first time a bunch of Cougars went to Myrtle Beach and got more than they bargained for. <laughs> <laughs> yo been here all week but maybe only one more week i don't know <laughs> then you're gonna start evaluating quarterbacks <laughs> yeah you got some work to do this is what you gotta do that's true darren where can all the folks find you if they want to tweet stuff at you well they can find me at Darren Gant, D-A-R-I-N-G-A-N-T-T on the Twitter machine and uh, and at Panthers.com. It's gonna be an interesting couple of weeks. I would advise spending all your time and money there. Should they kick Some- the tires on Dwayne Haskins? Probably. I think so. <laughs> you know what? We've been through stages in this franchise's existence where people would actually ask, What do you think? Is it worth giving Dwayne Haskins a shot? Fortunately, they're at a spot where I think people are smarter now. Our goal is our goal as a combined media is to educate fans ultimately. And I think we've got Charlotte fans to the point where Dwayne Haskins questions no longer get traction. You're not gonna you're not gonna win Super Bowls with a bunch of choir boys. You gotta have some guys <laughs> that are willing to go out there maskless to strip clubs during the weeks of games if you wanna make something of this franchise. It was a private event, I, Colin. It was a I'm, private I'm, event. I'm, I'm pulling my vote for Darren's GM after the, hearing this. You got you got to be willing to kick the tires on on knuckleheads. So I mean, I'd sign him for the vet minimum. That's like my favorite Twitter take. Is well, I mean, I, I mean, uh, like if if Mahomes wants to come in here for the for the vet minimum, I'd sign him. Like I, mean, I would. I, you know, I'd take her to Olive Garden. You know. <laughs> Which is all well and good until Will Greer ends up in Green Bay, taking over for Aaron Rodgers someday and leading him to the Super Bowl. I'll eat my hat. (laughs) (laughs) And a shoe, probably. (laughs) Colin, where can they find you on the Twitter machine? At Colin CLT on Twitter. Big dog. Uh, You can follow me at Josh Klein Rules on Twitter. Uh, Any? That's it. That's it? (laughs) Yeah. I was going to throw out some other places you could, but that's it. LinkedIn, hit me up. Josh Klein. (laughs) That's that's the way to do it. Any other roaring riot, anything that you need to get out there for the people? No, there's nothing happening. Nobody will be in the stands on mm. uh, on Sunday against the Saints, except for cardboard cutouts and selected uh, very VVVIPs. Um, so uh, so if you want to watch the game, just, just watch. Just how about this? Just enjoy sports and football and your favorite team rather than just being angry all the time about everything that happens. And you know what? If they lose, 
go out there and, and go and stand in the sun for a few minutes. And if they win, then go out there and bask in the sun. But just, just, you don't have to be angry about everything. It's going to be fine. Sports are here. We're here. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be fun. And I will say this in all sincerity. I think one of the cool things you guys do is you, you try to keep your sports in context and you do it by being in community with people you want to be in community with. So, I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. These are supposed to be games that we have for fun and, you know, fans are supposed to be able to enjoy them together. And the together is more important than the game. So that's, that's Darren's parting shot for today. Thank you, GM elect. <laughs> this has great job. <laughs> this has been one day contract, part of the Riot Network. Darren Gant, your one day contract is up. Happy New Year, everyone. We'll see you next year. Darren, can you sign maybe like Andrew Norwell? Who else do we want to sign? Who are some Sammy Watkins? He needs a he needs to get some tires kicked. Absolutely. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do all of that. Is there another I think the last one's just now off scholarship, so. <laughs>